Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is April 12th, 2020. We're recording Happy Easter, because that's the day we're recording. This is Easter Sunday. Uh, my name is Terry Plucknett, as always, and joining me are Todd Plucknett, Zach Saltz, and for a special podcast, the fourth member of the Almost Sideways team, Mr. Adam Daly. How's it going, Adam? It's good. It's day 412 in uh, quarantine. Really excited to be out of my shell here. Nice, nice. Todd, Zach, how's it been? Lovely. <laughs> it, it, I didn't realize Adam's been quarantining that long. <laughs> I was just prepared. I'm just a hermit by nature. I understand that. I understand that. I, I've been embracing my my inner introvert this whole time as well. Well, uh, like I said, this is a uh, this is Easter Sunday. This is a day that we should be celebrating the next green jacket and uh, and talking about No Time to Die. But instead, we're talking about a Netflix film and finding other things to talk about. So, uh, with all that said, uh, Zach, what are you drinking? I'm drinking out of the fabulous. Uh, back of my refrigerator, uh, Copperhead Pale Ale, for I think the fourth straight week. Hey, the quarantine will not end if it unless ain't broke. these are all gone. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, what do you got? Gin, always gin. There you go. There you go. Adam, how about you? I got a Stein full of Pepsi and Jameson whiskey. Oh, um, that's. Terrible. It's, it's 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 a yeah, but hey, the whiskey's good. It's Jameson Irish whiskey Caskmates IPA edition, so it's good, good stuff. So now are are they like making like beer aged whiskey instead of whiskey aged beer or something? It's IPA. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's super smooth, uh, super smooth whiskey. I don't know if you can see that, but yeah, that's bizarre. It's it's weird. But I love it, and it goes down really well. So, well, that's the important that's the part. trick. Yep. It also goes up really well, from my experience. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I've got out of uh, Elysian Brewery in Seattle. I've got their Split Shot. So it's a milk stout infused with espresso. So it's really good. It's really good. Nice. So. Yeah, because what we really need right now is more caffeine. More caffeinated beverages. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, well, before we get into... Uh, we are reviewing a movie. Uh, a new movie that just came out on Netflix this weekend. But before we get to that, uh, let's just do a quick little uh, go around the, the group. Todd, what have, uh, what have you been watching this week? Uh, well, the best thing I saw this week was this little indie movie called Inside the Rain. Uh, it's about this guy who's uh, bipolar and he's in college and he's a film student and there's a misunderstanding that he's gonna and he's gonna get expelled so he tries to make a movie about it to explain how he uh, uh, ex explain how it went down so he won't get expelled and so he casts a, a porn actress as his uh, <laughs> female lead 
and uh, it's got Eric Roberts in it. It's a pretty awesome movie. He's writer, director, star Aaron Fisher. He's a he's a talent that uh, we're gonna see for a while. But it's, I think it's the best movie I've seen from 2020. Wow! <laughs> wow! Okay, Adam, what have you been catching up on this week? Well, I've watched The Gentleman, uh, the Guy Ritchie film. Yes. Um, but uh, let's talk about two because you guys already talked about that. I two documentaries series that were so bonkers that they could make movies out of them. The first one's Tiger King. I think everybody really like kind of just like loved that one. So crazy, bizarre, uh, train wreck of a documentary of those characters, but uh, really entertaining. Also another one that's really entertaining. That I highly recommend that's on HBO. It's called McMillions. It's about the, uh, the fraud of the monopoly uh, McDonald's monopoly game uh, an over the top, like crazy, like investigation that they did. And it's a, uh, it's, was really entertaining. I really recommend both of those. If you're looking for an entertain, entertaining documentary series. All right. All right. Zach, how about you? I refuse to watch uh, Tiger Tiger King. I've, I've had a thread with this about, uh, with, with Todd. Yeah, it, it's, it's trash. Um, okay, so uh, I watched uh, the documentary from a couple years ago by... The one and only Todd's favorite filmmaker, Werner Herzog. Um, the documentary is called Meeting Gorbachev, and it is Werner Herzog's sit-down conversation with former uh, Soviet uh, President Mikhail Gorbachev. And uh, it's a really good documentary, especially to watch like at three in the morning. It's like this, you know, Soviet leader who talks about Glasnost and Perestroika and basically Herzog who has to have his face in every shot like when they do the interviews with Herzog in the two shot like Herzog's cheeks and are still in frame and like you can see him take off his glasses and of course he narrates like Gorbachev's life and then my favorite part of the movie is he includes this random clip from the Hungarian news about uh, how how little these states in Eastern Europe cared about uh, Glasnost that one of the broadcast showed this news lady showing how um, if you put beer outside for three hours it will attract all the slugs before they went to the 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 thing where they were you know cutting down the Berlin Wall and stuff like that anyway long story short it has a lot of nice rambling digressions that are typical of Herzog and so it's worth your time I give it a solid three and a half stars nothing says nothing says 3 a.m. quite like uh, Herzog and Gorbachev so it's actually a really good movie. Uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, seriously underrated. Great guy. Since when solid. is three and a half stars solid? Like, solid is always three stars. Hey, this is extra solid. All right, so uh, what I caught up on uh, this week, so my anniversary film this week was uh, the 2000 film Wonder Boys, um, which, as I was watching it, I realized... Um, I don't know if you guys had said this before, but uh, if you hadn't, you should have. This is a total Terry movie. Uh, I loved it. Three and a half stars. Um, it, it, it's just great. Uh, Michael Douglas, Tobey Maguire, actually, I mean, he was really good in this. Um, uh, yeah, I, I really like this movie. It was nominated, I think it was nominated for four Oscars. I'm pulling it up here. I should have been a little more prepared. Um, it was nominated for four. It won one. Um, oh, nominated for three won one. It won original song and uh, was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Editing. But yeah, really love that movie. Um, Michael Douglas is nuts in it. So is Tobey Maguire. 
and uh, and Katie Holmes and Robert Downey Jr. is in there too, as in, and Francis McDormand and Francis McDormand. Yeah, it's got a pretty good cast. Uh, anyways, really good movie. Three and a half stars. Um, and then let's see here. I I got through the rewatch the first season of Breaking Bad as I'm trying to work my way through that again. But uh, I'll I'll actually do it this time. So that was good. And my discovery of the week was I found a new show on Netflix called 100 Humans. Have any of you heard of this before? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I've watched yes. it. Yeah, yeah, nope. really, really fascinating. It takes like a hundred a hundred people and uses it as like a sample test group to uh, prove or disprove different theories about people. And this one, the one I've watched one episode so far, and it was all about attraction. And so, um, like. Are people more attracted to to people in uniform, or do people do do uh, uh, more attractive people get away with more, or um, do your dance skills lead to a higher sperm count? Um, there, there's a lot of really interesting uh, uh, stuff that they do, and it's a really entertaining show. So if you haven't caught that before, Hundred Humans, it's it's worth a watch. It's one of those shows that. I would never watch if I wasn't in quarantine. Yes, like, that's exactly the, what happened. The, there's <laughs> zero interest if I wasn't in quarantine, but sadly we are. Yes, yes, we are. All right. That should be a power ranking, stuff that we would only watch in quarantine. That's not a bad one. We may have to pull that one out at some I've point. I've been watching a lot of kids' shows, I can tell you that. Well, yeah, there's that too. We discovered one on <laughs> Disney Plus called Bluey. It's uh you'll 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 be oh, interested in this. Yeah, Have you seen my, that? no, she yeah she loves it. It's about the dogs. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, dog, the Australian like, dogs. Yeah. yeah, that's it's pretty amazing. Go. Yeah. yeah. She <laughs> <loves> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's let's hop into our movie review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. So, uh, this is uh, our next film in the uh, Almost Sideways Online Film Festival. Uh, Picking movies that you can easily stream all over the place that you guys can watch, and then you can, uh, you can check in with our podcast and listen into what we thought and join the conversation. Um, so, this time is the first time in, uh, in our quarantine that we've actually watched a new movie. Brand new movie. Came out on Netflix this weekend called Tiger Tail. And so, let's see here. I'm going to go to Zach. Zach, you're going to tell us all about Tiger Tail um, and uh, what was what it was about and uh, and what you thought about it. Yeah, that's fair because I think I was the one who suggested it. Um, <laughs> Tiger Tail is the, uh, I think it's the debut film of Alan Yang, um, who formerly was a writer on Parks and Rec and Master of None. So he was kind of, he's kind of comes from the comedy world. And um, it's a semi-autobiographical uh, story that's loosely based on his father, who was a Taiwanese immigrant um, to the United States. And the movie uh, is basically uh, this this character, who's his father, uh, it's his um, sort of life story. Uh, his name is Pinjui, and 
Uh, he grows up in poverty in Taiwan with his grandparents and then later his mother. And then uh, through a series of sort of um, events that are almost outside his control, he finds himself in, as an immigrant um, in the Bronx with uh, a new wife in the 1970s and 80s. And so the movie kind of cuts back and forth between um, his journey as an immigrant in the Bronx and then also him as a much older man. Um, and he has sort of a dysfunctional relationship with his grown daughter, um, who's played in the movie by Christine Coe. The movie, even though Alan Yang is from the world of comedy, um, the movie isn't really a comedy. It's a lot uh, more serious. Um, there are some some sort of comic moments in it, but it's a it's a, a fairly straightforward um, journey uh, of this man who, again, kind of comes from the depths of poverty and overcomes a lot of it. And that makes you, it, that makes it kind of sound like you know the Joy Luck Club or um, even Yi Yi, you know, other films that we've seen, especially about Chinese or Taiwanese immigrants. Um, I think what sets this movie a little bit apart, though, is the fact that the main character is someone who is dealing a lot uh, with a lot of resentment and homesickness. And even though those aren't things that are necessarily uh, stated obviously in the dialogue, um, it, it comes through really clearly because he has a very dysfunctional relationship with his wife and, and his daughter. I thought this was an amazing movie. Uh, it, from start to finish, really, really kind of blew me away how, how good it was. Uh, it did kind of the Blue Valentine thing of the scenes in the past were shot on 16 millimeter film and the scenes in the present were shot on digital. I just love that. I think that that looks great. There were passages of this movie where, especially when, when he's in the Bronx um, as, as an immigrant, that I just thought were fabulous. I, if there was any flaw of the movie, and this is always the mark of a good movie, I, I wish it had been longer. The movie's only 90 minutes. It felt like there were some times when maybe some there were some segments that could have been expanded upon. I don't think the movie wants to be this grand narrative, though, of the quote-unquote immigrant experience. I think it's a very sort of particular and specific portrait of this pretty complicated guy who has a lot of, again, feelings of resentment, uh, feelings of um, uh, homesickness and, and anger toward uh, the life that he had and the, and, the, and the people that are in it. I also think it's very much a movie about Taiwanese uh, families and generational intergenerational conflict because older generations just don't always uh, say what they're feeling. Um, and I listened to Alan Yang talk quite a bit about this film on, on the David Chang podcast and a few other places. And uh, you know, it, it, it sounds like it really comes from the heart for him. Um, I thought this was a fabulous movie. Uh, it will be in my top 10 movies of the year. It is a four-star film for me. Wow. Okay. Todd, what are you thinking about Tiger Tail? Uh, I, I think the, the, the thing that's the best about the movie is probably the cinematography. Like, the, the early scenes in, like, the rice field looked like it could have been, like, a Malick movie. And, like, the earlier New York sequences looked like a Wong Kar Wai movie. And the final shot, I feel like, is really, really beautiful and creative. And I, uh, The older scenes, I feel like, are, like, heartbreaking. The adult scenes are, like, romantic. And the young scenes are full of life. And, and I think that's where the problem in the movie is, is that uh, all of any of these individually could have been a really interesting movie. But they're spliced together in a way that kind of, like, kills any momentum that any of them built up. And so... I, I feel like it would have been more effective to have, like, Pinju, the old the old Pinju, like, be writing a book about this or something, or, like, be relaying it to his daughter more obviously, but instead we just, it kind of just moves around at, like, a slower pace and causes the emotional impact to not really be there, it kind of dissipates near the end. It, it's two and a half stars. I really, I, I did enjoy the movie, but it, it's, 
the problem is in the structure, and I, I feel like that that's just a, a writer who isn't very experienced making movies. All right. So wow. Zach's at four stars. Todd's at two and a half. Adam, where are you at? I'm close. I'm way closer to Zach. I'm like three and a half to four. I I didn't know I didn't know anything about this movie really until um, you guys posted this with the next film, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna check it out. And I absolutely just kind of really just felt emotionally attached to the story. This movie actually did bring me to tears, um, and uh, I, I, I the way that the story is told throughout, you could definitely see there's some um, confliction between the uh, the main character and he's trying to do what's best for like his mother and he wants his mother not to uh, to work and he, so he has to do something that maybe his passion and his desire and his, where his heart's truly at he has to kind of like put that aside and do this other path and you can see that kind of confliction there's some some regret and somberness throughout with a little bit of levity with the mom's character and I think Christina Co was um, my favorite character in this movie. I think she was gives one of my favorite performances of the year. Um, as the, the daughter there too, trying to get her father's just attention. Really, just wants to have this relationship with her father, but also knows that I'm not going to get hurt. I don't want to get hurt by him anymore either. So I, I like that kind of confliction between the characters. And I wanted this movie to be longer. Um, originally, I did send. Um, I always send the emails to Terry about what I've watched, and I put this at three and a half. And my only thing was is that. I wanted the movie to be longer, but again, I think what Zach said was perfect. It's not trying to be this longer narrative story. It's just kind of telling this what these characters are kind of feeling, and you're kind of have to put the pieces and kind of feel for them throughout the film. And I'm, I might be changing it to four stars. This is definitely gonna be in my top ten as well. I absolutely just really, um, I'm really happy I watched this movie, and this was uh, this was really cool. I was actually looking on Letterbox too, looking at the cast and. Apparently, John Cho was supposed to be in this movie as well. I think that I'm kind of glad his scene got cut because having a an actor you kind of you know, recognize right away would maybe taken me out of it. So I'm really happy that I was wasn't able to recognize none of the cast and see new cast members as well. So you didn't recognize like, Consul Han from Rush Hour as the main. Well, that's character. the that's the only character, and that's obviously I was like I want to watch it from him, but I don't <laughs> didn't want. Mainstream appeal. That's John Cho at Harold and Kumar character. Everybody knows John Cho. So true. Isn't he like the father in the farewell too? That's all that's all I kept on seeing. Yeah, he's the father yeah. in the farewell. Yeah. Uh alright, so so we've got we got two saying it's masterpiece. I'm actually gonna side more with Todd on this. Um <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was a good movie. Um, but it was definitely one that um that needed someone with a little more experience to really bring out the uh, the masterpiece it could have been. Um, when I when I got when I got over, I looked at it and said this was this was good, but forgettable. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to remember this in in a month. Um, and uh, and so I'm gi- I'm giving it two and a half stars. Like I said, it, it's it's got it's got some quality there, um, but it it just was a little too rough around the edges, a little too unrefined. Um, give this give the script to someone who's who's done a little bit more, and maybe the store or maybe directed by someone who's who's done a little bit more, and uh, and it could have pulled out the masterpiece that was there, but um, but yeah, I'm giving it two and a half stars. Ultimately forgettable, but decent uh, decent guts to the to the story and to the movie. It doesn't Ouch. happen very often where I'm. <laughs> 
Terry sides with me. I know. <laughs> when you're breaking the tie, damn. I see what you saw. Wow. I see what you saw in it, Zach, and, and Adam. I see what you guys saw in it. However, I yeah. And and I, I, movies like this before, I've gone like three and a half, four stars. But then I go, oh wait, what was that movie about again? And I remember nothing about it. And I just I know this is going to be one of those movies. I it's just it's ultimately forgettable. It was it's kind of funny too because um, being a you know international film where you have to read the subtitles. My wife actually was pretty well was watching this movie with through with me as well. But she refuses to watch Parasite, which I'm trying to get her to watch that. But uh, she, she, her, and I were engaged after the movie was over, and just talking about like not just like choices that we've made in our relationship too, and like looking back in the film and stuff. It, it sparked a conversation for us anyway. So maybe just hit hit me a little emotionally um, in the heart, I guess. Then, but yeah, I understand where you guys are coming from too. So. One of the more fascinating things I thought about, I, I noticed about this movie is how the very beginning it specified which subtitles were Mandarin and which subtitles were Taiwanese, because yeah. you, if you if you notice that and you notice the difference between the two, their entire conversations and entire scenes where one character is only speaking Chinese and the other is only speaking Taiwanese. Um, and and they're talking back and forth to each other in different languages, and that's just a little subtle subtle detail that I thought was really cool. Well, I think it's important for the filmmaker to note the difference between Taiwanese cultural identity and Chinese identity. But I, I think one of the, this applies a little bit to what Adam was saying is like, I thought this movie was so impressive in the way that, you know, uh, watching it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not Taiwanese. I didn't grow up in this time. I wouldn't say that I quite understand, uh, Pinjui's personality very well, but I think there's a really strong emotional connection with it, and I think that's a great testament to the screenplay. You know, I think the screenplay doesn't give you this kind of heavy-handed, you know, immigrant overcoming great adversity, traditional, almost cliched, almost borderline racist narrative. I think it shows you characters who are complex, who have to understand the gravity of their decisions, even if their decisions are are misguided ultimately. Um, and it shows that I think there's sort of a universality um, in in you know parent-child relationships, husband-wife relationships, friendships, work life. Uh, I, I think it does a beautiful job of that. And even though it's a short film, I think the highest compliment that you can give a film like this is that it's too short. I mean, that's a great problem to have. I, if, if you're saying that you wish it had elab gone into greater elaboration, that means that it left you wanting more. And as Ebert said, no no great movie can be too short and no bad movie is, or no, no great movie can be too long and no, no bad movie is short enough. Then again, I, 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 I respect Terry and Todd's opinion. I, I think it's okay. I think films strike you all in, in different ways. And I also think that watching this movie on Netflix is unfortunate. I, I think seeing this in a theater would have been a vastly superior experience. Yeah, seeing this at the Grand Cinema in Tacoma, hearing those, like, the, the violin, the, the string instruments, and the, the keys of the piano, uh, that, that score, too, just in that theater would have been fantastic. Well, and, 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 and I think it's still a movie worth watching, and so I hope I hope people check it out. It's definitely the uh, the lesser of the two Netflix originals that came out this weekend. Most other people are watching the Love Wedding Repeat, which uh, which also came out this weekend. But Tiger Tail is definitely worth uh, worth watching, uh, worth checking out. Um, if yeah. for nothing else, for 
like like Zach said, it's a it's this personal story from the filmmaker, um, and uh, and definitely to see some some international cinema, uh, even some new international cinema while you're staying at home. So uh, so we got two two and a half stars. We've got a, a three and a half star borderline, and we've got a four star. So uh, uh, definitely listen to one listen, worth listen to me and Adam. Don't listen to Terry and Todd. It, for all seven <laughs> listeners out there, just you know, it's only ninety minutes of your life. You won't you won't regret it. You won't forget it like some people on this podcast apparently will. It's worth checking out. That's what I'm saying. It's worth checking out. Okay, <laughs> all right. So let's uh, let's move on to our uh, to our next segment, and we're getting into our uh, we're getting into our spotlight segment. Spotlight. And this is our Mount Rushmore, uh, and this is where we're going to be looking back at the decade that was in this podcast, and uh, be spotlighting some things um, from the 2010s. And we're specifically looking at the Oscars today and looking at Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress. And we're going to build the Mount Rushmore of Best Supporting Actor winners and Best Supporting Actress winners. So these people are the ones that that won the Oscar, had to have won. It couldn't just be a nominee. Um, and so the the four best, the, the Mount Rushmore of, of these categories and, um, and these performances... So, uh, with Adam here, uh, we're not going to have to debate over one of them. We're just going to pick our four and, and, uh, and go with that. So, Adam, you are our guest. I'm giving you the first, uh, the first spot on Mount Rushmore. So, uh, for Best Supporting Actor, who is your submission uh, for Mount Rushmore? So, what I did was I looked at all... The winners so I gave him my top five. So I, I'm starting off. I'm gonna go with pretty much the layup. I think it's J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. Uh, one of my favorite films of this last decade, and this is probably one of my favorite, like really this like monstrous performance that uh, he does as Terrence Fletcher, as this uh, really just tries to bring up the best in his students in the most like outlandish way possible. Uh, it's just like it's, this um, performance feels so much larger than life in the actual film is. But J.K. Simmons just does something in this one. So he's so captivating and um, uh, scary at times as well. But I, just seeing that a relationship with him and um, Miles Teller's character, it just I absolutely just this had to be my choice here for it. And uh, just so J.K. Simmons has to be on the Mount Rushmore for one of the best uh, supporting actor winners for me. All right, all right. Uh, let's go. Let's go, Todd next. Okay, the one that I thought was the easiest one to pick is uh, Jared Leto for Dallas Buyers Club. I feel like it probably is one of the highest score performances of the decade because I don't know anyone else else that could have that could have played it. I honestly didn't know he could do that. It w- it yeah. was an insane performance, transformation physically, and something that he has never done before. And uh, it's yeah, it, it's a perfect performance. And he it's the only character in the movie that isn't real, but it's the one that kind of feels most authentic, which is kind of, which is, well, it's really impressive. Yeah. Okay, so we got J.K. Simmons, we got Jared Leto, Zach. Who are you? Yeah, that for? was low hanging, low hanging fruit there for Adam with J.K. Simmons. I would even go a step <laughs> further and probably say that was the best Oscar-winning performance this decade. 
I I don't know if that's like a future list, but I that to me, if if there's one performance of an Oscar-winning actor that or actress that people will remember from this decade, I think it's that. I think I, I, kind of by far. I don't even think there's much close. So that means that I'm going to go to my second place finisher on the best supporting actor totem pole, and that is Christoph Waltz in Django Unchained. Which, again, it's it's not even his best supporting actor Oscar, bet his best best Oscar-winning performance. Uh, but uh, he's really good in that movie. Um, he gets uh, some excellent uh, dialogue in that movie, and he, he brightens up the screen every time he's there. And uh, he is an inimitable actor. If you're talking about high war performances, it's also very hard to see anyone else playing Dr. King Schultz quite the same way as Christoph Waltz. And of this list, that I mean, that's probably one of the top two or three surprises of the winner, too. Um, he wasn't supposed to win, uh, but somehow. Well, it was it, a, off. it was a pretty wi- it's a pretty wide open category that it's year. True. I don't know if there was any clear favorite, but it's true. It, it, it was pretty wide open. Um, gosh, I had you go before me because I wasn't sure where I was going to go. First, I, I will say, and I don't know if this is the case with anybody else, I have not seen Christopher Plummer in Beginners. Um, I don't think anybody was going to pick him. Obviously not, but um, I haven't seen that one. Um, and there, I mean, there's some, there's some weird not uh, wins um, this this decade. Like Mark Rylance is is still a head scratcher. Of how he yeah, ended it didn't up, age well. yeah, um, it just kind of came out of nowhere, and that was another one that was really wide open. Um, I honestly was going to say Christoph Waltz was kind of a was was a surprise and not necessarily up there, but I love Christoph Waltz, so I can't really argue with it. Uh, you've got two wins for Mahershala Ali, one that um, I think people say has aged well, and one that hasn't. Um, but oh gosh, I'm going to go with Christian Bale for uh, for the fighter. As, as the fourth one. Um, for someone who has kind of gotten his uh, his uh, his notoriety for being this chameleon and disappearing into a role, this might have been his, uh, his best disappearing act that he's had. And, uh, and I, it's, it's really hard to, to argue with, with Chris, Christian Bale getting an Oscar, and especially for a performance like this, uh, it just felt right. And so, uh, so I'm going to go with Christian Bale. Now, what's really interesting is our five, our our, our four Mount Rushmore uh, names are the from the first half of the decade, and the only one we didn't go with from the first half of the decade was Christopher Plummer. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and I, I was I was debating between Christian Bale and Brad Pitt. I, I think those are like two of the more iconic performances outside of the ones that we've already said. So. And the only one you didn't mention was Sam Rockwell, who probably does the most acting in, uh, in his win. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that would have been, I mean, that would have been a solid choice too, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So, yeah, so we got J.K. Simmons, we got Jared Leto, Christoph Waltz, and Christian Bale as the Mount Rushmore Supporting Actor winners uh, from the 2010s. So let's get into Supporting Actress. And, Adam, once again, going to you first. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well... Took the layup. I don't know. Let's see here. I did again in our top five here. Um, I think this person's going to get said, but I'm going to go with uh, Viola Davis for as Rosalie, uh, Rosalie uh, from Fences. Uh, ever since I first saw that trailer, I was like, "That's that's your Oscar winner right there." I 
absolutely loved her performance as this mother who is definitely trying to um, trying to lead her family as obviously the best it can. And going back and forth with her husband, played by Denzel Washington, really loved this film uh, a lot, and the performance was, was fantastic. I just loved how Philo Davis finally getting her Oscar win too. I think it's very well serving. I think I really love the performance as well. So I'm gonna go with Viola Davis to make to make sure that she's on our on Mount Rushmore. I think after the decade she had, she definitely deserved a win for sure. For sure. Todd, where are you going? Uh yeah, Adam picked the easy one. That's the only one that I feel like I, I think that's the only one I actually nominated my own awards in any individual year. I think it's a really strange group of winners for supporting actress. Uh, it's a lot weaker. I so I'm gonna go with Regina King for Bill Street Could Talk. Uh, it, it may have been some sort of a, a career achievement award when she when she won, but she she is really really strong. I don't think she's the best supporting actress in that movie, but I, I have no problems with her winning. And uh, yeah, she's a, a really rangy, emotional actress, and it really is on on show in Beale Street Kentuck. Okay, all right, Zach. Yeah, Re- Regina King would have been my number three. Viola Davis would have been my number two. So my number one is still out there, and that is Lupita Nyong'o as yeah. Patsy in Twelve Years a Slave. I kind of thought that was the low hanging fruit there, but I mean, in her first role, she was phenomenal. Um, she steals this, you know, the, every scene she's in in that movie. She the, the stuff that she has to go through in that movie is just terrible. Um, incredibly hard on an actor, and uh, she's amazing in it. I also think she had the best Oscar moment of any winner this mm-hmm. decade, too. So, like, you know, you got J.K. Simmons, maybe the best Oscar-winning performance this decade. I think the best Oscar moment of this decade is Lupita Nyong'o winning. That was, and that's, she was to me. That's in, that's inseparable from the performance too. And she was the one that that performance was what I was kind of referring to as being like. I think this one's gonna be set. So, I, great choice there, today. All right. Uh, yeah, that is a great choice. Probably, if if I were to rank them, probably my number one would be Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, there are two performances of supporting actress I have yet to see. Uh, one is Alicia Vikander in The Danish Girl. Um, she was nominated for the wrong movie. That's that's what I have to say. Um, and, uh, yeah, probably would have won no matter what she was nominated for. Should have been nominated for Ex Machina. And I also haven't seen Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk yet, so I need to watch that one as well. Um, my pick... I'm gonna go... I'm gonna go Allison Janney for I, Tanya. Uh, I actually rewatched this recently, and I think she it has kind of shown over the years that she is the perfect supporting actress and if you think about supporting actress supporting the story supporting the leads and and just carving out her own place in the movie um her performance in itania is the perfect example of what a supporting performance should be um in in stealing the scenes that she's in but ultimately just being there to support the overall story um and again it, it's great to see someone like that who is a character actress who has been around forever uh, finally get recognized for some of the great work that she's done. So I'm going Allison Janney. We have all of my top four. <laughs> there we go. That's good. Uh, yeah. And, and, I mean, you got... I, I think Laura Dern is another example of that in Marriage Story of just supporting the overall story. Um 
Patricia Arquette, I think her win, I mean, it's a, it's a solid win, but ultimately I think it was just, let's give Boyhood something. Looking back on it, it, it didn't really feel like the performance was necessarily that strong. Um, Anne Hathaway wins for just having the one the one song, the one scene, as Jennifer Hudson did in Dreamgirls. Um, Octavia Spencer has kind of become an Academy darling for getting nominated for everything. And I think the forgettable performance in this all is Melissa Leo in The Fighter. Um, I don't think anybody looks back on that and says that's an all-time performance now. The Oscar oh. speech, though, is uh, anti-quarantine partner with Zach, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. There is that. <laughs> um, okay. So, so how uh, many of these performances beat Amy Adams? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Four? Five? Yeah. Well, she point, yeah, nominated for The Fighter, and she was nominated for... The Master. The Master, and American Hustle. American Hustle, yeah. And Vice. Or American Hustle was... American Hustle was a lead... Yeah, that was lead. That was oh, yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Like Rice, yeah. So she lost three. three of these performances. <laughs> yeah, she's got she's got to get her Oscar at some point, right? At you some think, point, you would think. At some point. Okay, so there we go. Our uh, our Mount Rushmore of supporting actors: J.K. Simmons, Jared Leto, Christoph Waltz, Christian Bale. Mount Rushmore of supporting actresses: We have Viola Davis, Regina King, Lupita Nyong'o, and Allison Janney. Um. I, I also like that you've got three of our four supporting actress Mount Rushmore's were uh, were minority too. That that's pretty cool. All right, it's time for power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Uh, this is uh, the segment where normally we are guessing what uh, what Adam says before I reveal, and this time we don't have to because Adam's here. And the great part about Adam being here is uh, after the last power ranking and how none of us had any idea what he was going to say and showed it in our predictions, uh, he is he got to pick our category for this power ranking. So... Adam, tell us what we are counting down in our power rankings this podcast. Uh, so this one, I, I, you know, we did quarantine partners last week or a couple weeks ago. So I was figuring, what's the other side of that? Some people are not under under quarantine, so they're essential workers essentially. Man, there we go. Uh, but so anyway, we're going to count down the top five essential employees in films. Now this is not dedicated just to two thousand tens. It's open to every year of cinema. So I. I doubt we're going to have much overlap. It's going to be really hard to uh, figure out who's being put on each other's list, but this is going to be a fun conversation, I feel. So right. I was thinking, I was like, who is considered essential people? I would give some examples for people at home. You know, obviously healthcare people, so doctors, nurses, that kind of stuff, government officials, uh, police, firefighters, retail employees. Uh, if you work at um, a fast food place, the drive-up window person counts. But the person behind the counter, uh, like say, you know, if you're uh, just taking the order at the counter, that does not count as essential because we're not supposed to be going into the restaurants. So that's kind of a little fun a way to figure out who's essential and who's not in movies. So there we go. All right. All right. Okay. So normally, like I said, we uh, we predict what Adam's list is. 
Um, and normally we do that at the end, but he's here to reveal it with us. So we're going to ask Adam to, uh, to not listen in as we reveal what our predictions are. And then uh, we'll kind of see how we do as we go along. So Adam, take out your earbuds for a sec. So we can, uh, we can kind of go over our, our, uh, our list here. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go first in, in my predictions of what Adam said. Uh, so the, this was impossible to do. But uh, my my top five for Adam, I've got at number five, I've got the little Nero's pizza guy from Home Alone. Uh, number four is know. Chuck Nolan from Castaway. Number three is Hot Lips Houlihan from MASH, the movie, because we couldn't do TV. Uh, number two is Patch Adams, and number one is Sully from Sully. What does Patch Adams do? He's a doctor. He's a doctor. Oh, okay. All right. I've never seen it. Zach. I had Eric, number five was Eric Stoltz in Pulp Fiction as Lance the drug dealer. Number four is Apu from The Simpsons. Number three, Ramona Flowers from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. What does she do? Number two, she's she's an Amazon uh, delivery Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Um, Number two, I also had Chuck Nolan as played by Tom Hanks in Castaway. And number one, which I think is a slam dunk, Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, well, he was number one in his last list, so... I... Alright. For number five, I had Paige from Fighting With My Family, because apparently the WWE can still do sports. Uh, number four, I have <laughs> Officer Brian O'Connor in uh, The Fast and the Furious. Uh, number three, President Andrew Shepard from The American President. Number two, Travis Bickle. And number one, I have Chuck Nolan from Castaway. <laughs> now, why is the president an essential worker? Because well, the government can't shut that? down. <laughs> president's still working. I mean, government's still working. I think we've clearly shown we can do a lot without the president in our real world. But I, I thought this was, you know, people that were like, well, I don't know. Okay, this was Adam's list. I, I, I got nothing. I don't know. Okay, all right. Here we go. Let's, let's see. All right. Adam, come back. Come back. Boom. I'm back. Okay, he's back. All right, so let's see here. Let's see. Uh, let's see what uh, what our lists are. We're gonna um, we're gonna start with. Let's see here. Who hasn't started? I haven't started anything yet, so I'm gonna go first. Um, I'm gonna go first here, and uh, my number five on my list of best essential employees is. Uh, so I went through and I I listed off all the potential essential employees, and I and I um, and so I picked one from like every category of essential employee. Um, so my number five is, uh, I mean, one of the things that hasn't shut down throughout this whole thing is television. Television is still going on. There's still stuff on TV, not as much like actual programming, but someone's got to be there to hit the switches and, and get everything going and make things happen. So my number five is a control room director played by Paul Giamatti in the Truman show. Um, because you know he's running things right now. You know, Kristoff's not coming into the office during this whole quarantine thing. Paul Giamatti is the one that's coming in. He's saying, switch to this camera, switch to this camera, turn this on, turn that off. He's the one that's running things because Kristoff's staying home and staying out of this. Uh, he's the one that's picking what reruns of Truman Burbank are being put on during all this thing. And so, yeah, the control room director played by Paul Giamatti in the Truman Show is my number five. In a way, the entire cast of the Truman Show 
also is uh, all quarantined together. They, they are quarantined together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so In that that building. whole thing can still happen. <laughs> uh, all right, but not uh, if you got people breaking into the set, like Sylvia. Oh, that's true. That's true. There, there are there are some some uh, yeah, increased some security security issues there. Yeah. All right, uh, Zach, you're number five. Okay, Adam did predict that I would have a character from Speed, so uh, number five, in honor of Adam, is Sam the bus driver from Speed, because bus drivers are, of course, essential employees. Really, the only thing that uh, I went for on my list was people who are underpaid, um, because they're always the most essential ones, so I'm pretty sure Sam is underpaid. There can't be, he might might be getting laid off, like, there can't be that many buses still going around, I mean, that's sort of, like, you know, counterproductive. (laughs) Hey, he gets shot, okay? I mean, he he has a hard-on for this bus, in the words of Ortiz. <laughs> More or less. Uh, all right. Todd, number five. So for my list, I, I pretty much made it people who would absolutely still be working if it was in the world today. So uh, face, uh, anyone, yeah, any of those businesses are up for grabs. And so for my number five, I went with a guy who is currently working as a lawnmower and a business owner and that is Forrest Gump he might be like the (laughs) most essential employee right now because he is a gazillionaire as he says and uh, his job is just sit around collect money from his business but now he mows lawns and not only is that a job that still needs to be done but he does it for free like we need more people like Forrest Gump and he is absolutely an essential employee slash business owner he's just kind of essential in general yeah, yeah, man. He can provide our sports too, ping pong. Yeah, yeah, That's and football. True. There we go. And and shrimp. And yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Shrimp. He provides you everything. Your shrimp to your door. All right, Adam. Number five. Oh wow. Okay, so I broke it down in a couple different categories. This 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 first category is the grocery store slash retail worker category. Now I could have went with the uh, the stock boy from Father of the Bride who's arguing with George Banks about the hot dog buns and the hot dogs and all that's good stuff. But I went with Dante Hicks from Clerks. Uh, now you want an employee who's who's dedicated to his job, who comes in when he doesn't have to be there today. Yeah, this is like this is kind of employee. He might be the laziest person on my list, but you know he's going to be there at the front lines. He's going to be at that counter, at a gas convenience store, whatever. He's going to be working, and so Dante Hicks had to be my clerks is what I picked for my retail worker. I was so close to putting Dante and Randall. (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) Yeah, did any of us pick Dante? I don't think any of us picked Dante to be on his list. Well, I was thinking clerks too, but he's like that. He works at the front counter of the restaurant, so he, yeah, he doesn't, uh, doesn't technically count. Yep. <laughs> All right. So number four on my list, uh, I had to have a doctor on the list because you know doctors are very very important right now. So uh, my my top doctor uh, is not a movie character, and I was really bummed that I couldn't put him on the list because I mean, who else would you want at this time other than Doctor Gregory House? I mean, he would he would have this thing solved like that. It would all be gone. He may misdiagnose it as lupus first, and then um, treat someone <laughs> treat someone uh, incorrectly and almost kill them. But eventually, everyone would be healed because nobody dies on Doctor House's watch. Um, I just remember the one episode where he just walks into the room and says, "Gout," and walks out. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
But anyways, Dr. House would be on my list, but he can't be. So I had to pick a doctor from a movie. And so the doctor I picked is the flight surgeon from Apollo 13. Um, and, and here's why. Here's why. There's a reason. I mean, he he is checking everyone's vitals, like, religiously. Their heart rates are skyrocketing. I mean, this is important <laughs> stuff here. Also, also, he looks at everybody's, like, immunization records and what they've had and quarantines people ahead of time in case they might get something. That's the whole reason Ken Mattingly wasn't on the flight, is because he might get the measles while in space because he was exposed to it. So he did this whole social distancing and quarantining to prevent the spread of a disease long before anybody else. So it, it might be um, might be flight surgeon, you know what, but the flight surgeon from Apollo 13 belongs on this list because he is a great doctor, even though they hate him for it. Nice. He may have well, lost all three of them, though. So what? You thought you thought thought about you put a lot of thought into this. I did, I did. <laughs> I love those two choices though. Those two choices are gold. Terry, has have you ever had a fantasy football team with the name uh, Medical Mutiny? No, but I did have one called Losing All Three of Them. I finished in last that year. <laughs> it's about appropriate because I, I lost all my games, just like my name said. All right, Zach, number four. I should have medical money. Right. That should be next year's team. Yeah, or it's a name of a great like grunge rock band or something. Yeah. Um, okay, I went with uh, number four. I went with Spike Lee's portrayal of Mookie as uh, oh sorry in as Mookie in Do the Right Thing. He lives in Bedford Stuyvesant, and on the hottest day of the summer, he's still delivering pizzas from a racist, bigoted uh, pizza owner named Sal. And you know what? Everyone wants to give Mookie shit for throwing the trash can in the window. But let's be honest, Radio Rahim's death is a greater travesty and uh, tragedy to society than Sal's freaking window. Okay, let's get that right, people. Mookie is a great essential worker who is very underpaid, very loyal, Great guy, wearing the Jackie Robinson uh, jersey before the MLB even ever adopted it. Head of his time. Mookie's awesome. I like it. All right. He's an honorable mention for me. All right, Todd. Yeah, that's my honorable mention, too. My number four is uh, Janine from American Beauty, and she is, of course, the senior drive through manager at Mr. Smiley's Restaurant. Uh, she takes such ownership over her job that, like, Lester calls it her turf, and he even lets her butt in on his, like, wife's infidelity drama that's unfolding at the window, and, uh, she should have more scenes. I feel like if, if she worked at Los Pollos Hermanos or something, she would have, like, a half an episode of storyline written about her. Janine is kind of an awesome character with, like, two lines, and, uh, she's definitely essential because she is the senior drive through manager. You are so busted. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't really concern you. I like it. I like it. All right, Adam. Number four. All right. So I went with the news media in this one. Now, I could have went with Henry Hackett from the paper or Ron Burgundy or Anchorman or even DJ from the Warrior because that's news. Um, anyway, but I went with somebody that would be hands-on in the field trying to tackle what's going on. That's Gail Weathers from Scream. Uh, played by Courtney Cox. Uh, Gail Weathers. <laughs> it's so wow. dumb. It's so dumb. 
Uh, Miguel Weathers should be on the front lines. You know, she was there trying to track down what's going on, who's killing these kids. But she's going to be there during this uh, pandemic, and she's going to be uh, on the front lines again, asking those tough questions to uh, to our officials. There we go, Gail Weathers. You know, okay, moments, yeah, none of us gets that. No, <laughs> yeah, moments no. like this remind you how futile it is to put in any more than thirty seconds into predicting Adam's list. It's true. It's hey, true. You technically are in the lead, Zach. You That's least... true. I got the movie. <laughs> sort of. You didn't say a movie. Uh, I got the movie where they're the about, drug like, dealers. I, 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 where they're the drug dealers. The movie where that. Okay. All right. Number three. Number three on my list is uh, is one that actually Adam has already mentioned, and that's Dante from Clerks. Uh, I mean, wow. I mean, you got you got to keep the grocery stores open, the 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 mini marts open, and and he's one that's. I mean, he's gonna be there. Then that's honestly all you really need to know. So um, he also sells cigarettes to children. <laughs> well, you know, these are hard hey, man, times. These are tough times. These are tough times. <laughs> he plays hockey on the roof. <laughs> hey, it's not I a mean, busy he, retail store. He's yeah, he he can do it. So yeah. Uh, yeah, for everything that's already been said, Dante number three, that's my guy. Zach number three. All right, number three for me is Dante from Clerks because God damn it, because God damn it, I want to win this power rankings. No, actually, uh, I don't have him as number three. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, my number three is Doctor Bettis, played by Harold Ramis in As Good as It Gets. Because he's the, the the doctor that comes and p- does the uh, check-in on Helen Hunt's son and his asthma. And uh, it's the best scene in the movie. Um, because he even gives them his home phone number. Which, you know, at the, hey, if you're a doctor in the middle of a crisis giving out your home phone number, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty remarkable. But then I realized that Dr. Bettis is probably pretty well paid, which goes against the spirit of my list. Underpaid people. So I'm going to make it a tie between... Dr. Bettis slash Dr. Harold Ramis and Carol the Waitress as played by Helen Hunt in As Good As It Gets. Actually, let's make it a three-way tie with Greg Kinnear in As Good As It Gets. Three-way tie. We're losing all three of them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not wearing my biomed sensors. Uh, (laughs) All right. Todd, number three. My number three is Cassius Green from Sorry to Bother You. Uh, it's, I don't know if there's a more <laughs> like obvious pick for someone that could still be open right now than a telemarketer. Like, uh, Cassius is like a, a phenom at Regal View. He, uh, once he gets the advice to use his white voice, and uh, he ascends to the power caller position, uh, and things get weird after that. It's, I mean, it's not that we really need telemarketers, but they definitely still are out there. And I feel like their jobs are the easiest that could still be running right now, other than maybe like phone sex operators or something. But Cassius Green, as a telemarketer, is my well, he's my favorite telemarketer, I guess. So he's my number three. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to have another one as your favorite telemarketer. So Michael Scott, <laughs> Michael Scott, there we go. But no, he's that not in the movie, so job. we couldn't pick him. Yeah, that's true. All right, Adam, number three. All right, number three. Okay, this is winds down to military, cops, firefighters, all that good stuff. So I was thinking I could have went with a fire chief from um, C.D. Bales from Roxanne. Uh, Rama from The Raid Redemption. He's a police officer. Captain Phasma from The Force Awakens. You know, she has to keep her military in line. Or even Bad Cop from the Lego movie. However, I decided to go with Chief Deputy Marshal 
James Gerald from The Fugitive, played by Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, you know, it's all about finding his man. He's brutal. Uh, his brutal put downs are hilarious. He's often all business when he gets um, stressful. He has a zero tolerance or time for uh, what's this word? I can't even read my writing. He's he has zero time for uh, incompetence after. Um, you know what? Yeah, he has zero time for being competent. He just wants to get his man, and that's somebody else's job if he's innocent or not. So uh, I really love that performance. So, yeah, he's an essential employee because we have to, you know, sub police officers. So, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Very nice. Very All nice. Right. I don't think yeah. anybody – nobody picked that. Nobody picked that. <laughs> I, I almost made – had a cop at least. I almost made Dr. Kimball my uh, my doctor. I was on my list from from The Fugitive, but, uh, but no. Yeah. I didn't. I went, I went with, with the flight surgeon instead. Wait till you hear my doctor. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Number two on my list is, uh, well, one of the things that is still open, Todd can attest to this, is delivery services. And so my number two is Chuck Nolan from Castaway, uh, played by Tom Hanks, because, I mean, he he's, he's like the efficiency expert and so efficient that he delivers a package five years late, but he gets it there, man. He gets that package <laughs> delivered, and and no matter what, that package is going to be delivered. However, wasn't it more? It was returned to sender, wasn't it? Because she drew on it and he gave it back to her. Like he didn't actually deliver it to the right person. Conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theory. Yeah, we need to true. deep dive Castaway at some point if Todd and I could ever stay awake yes. to watch it again. Um, yeah. Anyways, it's a good nap movie. It, it is a good Todd. Todd and I. Uh, uh, that was always our joke growing up. Is if we wanted to fall asleep, uh, throwing Castaway, and we would both be out within like a half hour. Um, but uh, <laughs> but Chuck Nolan. I mean, he's he's the man. And I mean, Return to Center. That's like an Elvis song and he was obsessed with elvis in that movie too anyways and i'm I'm going on i'm going on a deep dive without even uh without even permission chuck nolan number two castaway tom hanks i mean it's tom hanks you got to have him on a list so all right zach number two uh i mean he does leave that package unopened but he also opens the skates and the volleyball and the the dress i mean videotape videotapes Yeah, not that great. Okay, uh, my but number two. But he does two... sort the packages. He gets yeah. them and he sorts them like right away. That's like, the that's best part. FedEx style. <laughs> that's true. My number two. We, I, we have not talked enough about the need for alcohol in this brave new world of quarantine, and we gotta hand our. We we gotta you know give a shout out to all those brave men and women out there who are dealing with um, people at liquor stores, especially people who are trying to rob from liquor stores. And in the spirit of preventing robberies, I'm going with uh, my number two pick is Mindy from Superbad. I was because, thinking about that one. <laughs> nice. You know she is pretty. She she sacrifices herself, and you know what? I mean, she's also apparently needs to study for her veterinary exam. So you could even also say that. She's looking out for the pets out there, too. I think the fascinating thing about Mindy is had McLovin not said anything to her, I don't think she would have asked for his ID. That is my hot take conspiracy theory from Superbad. She was just totally chill. Um, And I think she makes Officer Slater and Officer Michaels look really stupid and foolish when she talks about African Jews who are 5'10". Wearing a hoodie. Wearing a hoodie. Oh, looks like you. Looks like you. What? Uh, oh, a Jewish. Jewish. Okay, go. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. 
Todd, number two. My number two is a character that has three very secure businesses right now, and that is Alien from Spring Breakers. He is mm. a drug dealer, <laughs> which is about as obvious as never going away. He is a rapper who also does some like awesome Britney Spears uh, renditions. Like I honestly feel like a lot of musicians in, in isolation are going to make some awesome music that's going to come out like in the next couple of years. And he's also an arms dealer, and from what I hear, everyone's buying guns right now. He is an essential, he's not really an employee, I guess, but he's an essential human being. I got Scarface on repeat, and Alien is my number two. I got Nunchucks. Yeah. Well Spring break break for life. Well Spring break. All right, Adam, number okay. two. Oh, sorry, I thought, uh, all right, so this is the one that kind of stumped me a lot. This is Doctors. We need we need a good Doctors. Now, I could have went with Jonathan Crane from Batman Begins or uh, Dr. Romack from Airplane. Or I could have went with Raymond Thurman uh, from John Q, one of uh, Zach's favorite movies. Or even uh, Dr. Cooney from Knocked Up. I obviously know John Q. It's not a good movie. Uh, anyway, uh, Dr. Hannibal Lecter is the doctor I'm going with from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, this is a, a very weird pick. But, you know, this guy's a well-respected Baltimore forensic psychiatrist. He is <laughs> calmed. He's collected. And he knows what, he knows how to diagnose. He knows where the meat of the situation is. He likes his wine and can um, wine, and this is just a doctor that's really focused, laser-focused precision. He probably doesn't even blink half the time when he's on screen. But Doctor Hannibal Lecter, I think that's the guy. If I'm if I'm feeling ill, that's the doctor I want to go to. Is a psychiatrist an essential employee right now? I mean, <laughs> uh, hey, seriously, he, they're calling they're calling all doctors to help out on the front lines now. My my pick for your Thank doctor you. was Patch Adams. Now that's a much better doctor. That's an essential employee at this time. But have you seen the movie? No, I haven't. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> a psychiatrist is not an essential employee. Come you on, can, man. You can do this by Zoom or something. Yeah, he can do it. He, I, I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> he can help the police, though. Good grief. <laughs> I don't know. I had a hard time with that one. All right. Screw it. Okay, number one. Number one on my list, I went with, uh, it, it, it is my, my representative of a nurse on my list. And uh, when I was thinking about top movie nurses, number one had to be Nurse Greg Fokker from Meet the Parents. Um, I mean, no one else handles the pressure quite like the guy who has been put in under a lie detector test from his, from his father-in-law. Uh, I'm, I mean, he he can handle himself when when everything's going wrong. I mean, it's not like he has a bomb or anything. And that Chinese death grip is probably going to come in handy when when everyone is freaking out and and dealing with a pandemic while while they're coming in. So so my number one is Greg Fokker. Can you deal with that? <laughs> there oh, you that's go. A, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right, Zach, number one. <laughs> Well, uh, you are talking about Gaylord Fokker, right? Yes, Gaylord Fokker. Yeah, okay, he needs more PPE, I, though. He needs more PPE. Because I, I wasn't sure exactly who you meant at first, because it, according to his records, he, he never went to medical school. Greg Fokker <laughs> never went to medical school. That's, that's no. true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Gaylord Fokker did. Yeah, he never even took the MCATs. He never, yeah. It should make yeah that wow that's good. Uh, that's a good one. 
All right. Okay, well, I went with someone who, you know, is a jack of all <laughs> trades, someone who you can get anything from, given your price. You could get some uppers, you can get some downers, you could get a Cadillac, you could get a gun that they shoot elephants in in Africa. That character is none other than Easy Andy from Taxi Driver. Because, you know, at the at just the call, the cab will take him to wherever you want to go, whatever hotel you want to go to, apparently across from Manhattan with a nice skyline view. And uh, he'll give you whatever you want, and including a belt made in Mexico. So, um, yeah, I thought he sort of was a nice uh, combination of all essential services that we need, because what what do you want that he can't sell to you? And I still have yet to see the documentary made about him. <laughs> you should probably check that out. I should. Yeah, yeah. All right, Todd, number one. All right, for my number one, I mean, we all love sports. And so I think the right now the toughest and most essential job of anyone could have is being a sports agent. So my number one is Jerry Maguire. Particularly a, a football agent, because free agency goes by. You can't have meetings. You can't have workouts. You can't have physicals. Yet he still has to negotiate contracts. He is a very personable, very uh, like a, he's a great sports agent. He's a classic character. He's broke and he's working for you for free. He is the ambassador of Kwan and the best essential employee in all of movies. Ambassador, of show me the money. That's great. That's great. One. I like Good it. One. All right, Adam. What's your number one? All right. So government officials, everybody. Presidents. So oh, I my God. Went, oh, no. No, no. <laughs> this, this is not happening. I could have went with a great president called Dwayne Elezondio Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho from Idiocracy. But I want to go with the great, the American president, Oh yes. my God! Yes. James Marshall from Air Force One. No! Oh no! That's you not said the, the movie. American president. <laughs> That's not. Right he the is movie. the American president. He no, is the, the American only American president, president, president movie. in the American president. <laughs> what? I've never seen that movie. If that's a movie. What? But <laughs> if that's a movie. If the, oh if gosh, I, yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I don't Todd, know. Todd, do your research, man. I thought you had it. I thought you had it. I thought Anyways. I did too. I know. Well, I, I don't know. I didn't look up what. I didn't look up the no. movies. No. Right, so you, you guys continue. can make fun of me on. You can make fun of me on this. If you look at my top 100 right now on the website, this is when I first started. My number 100th film of all time is the Wolfgang Peterson film Air Force One. It's 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 a ridiculous choice. It's it's that's that's a weird pick. But anyway, I love Air Force One. James Marshall would tell the COVID-19 to get off his plane. He's gonna he's gonna give great speeches. He's going to get down to the, the point of his speech. He's not going to be upset with the press in his uh, his operations. This is just a guy that everybody really loves. Yeah, and heck, even um, well, one of the scary movies, uh, Leslie Nielsen, Nielsen reports to him as President Ford in the White House. So everybody looks up to this president. James Marshall is one of the essential government officials for me. Okay, so Adam, you weren't on when this happened, but... Um, Todd predicted the uh, character of President Andrew Shepard in The American President, and I gave him shit for it. 
And I was like, how could he choose a president that's not essential? So, and then when you said the words, the American president, we thought, no, no fucking way. That's unbelievable. But then he let us down at the very end. Uh, all right, all right. So, I think, I think Todd wins trivia I was just say, because of that. I was going to say, I think Todd wins just because... He predicted the president from the American president, and Adam's number one was who Adam says is the American president. So. <laughs> he is the American president. This is the guy that you want running no, the country. Michael Douglas <laughs> in the American president is the American president. It says so in the title. He, he He's the one who well, beats. Get well, what was it, Bob Rumson? Richard Dreyfus? Rumson. I'm Bob Rumson, and I'm running for president. Dude, how have you not seen the American president? It's Aaron Sorkin, Rob Reiner, dude. Come on. Hashtag hashtag not my the American president. Oh, man, dude. Dude. Bob Rumson is a much greater foe than Gary Oldman's KGB accent. (laughs) <laughs> that is okay good point this is maybe okay i i, I will watch the american president okay i will i'm making a note i'll watch the american president watch the american president it's worth it dude totally worth it it's a great movie all right, all right. I'll, I'll watch it I'll okay watch it. i'm sorry i'm sorry so, for disappointing you guys we may need we a deep dive zero so we could get it we could get a uh honorable mention to maybe break our zero 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 tie Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let, let's. I, I think I think Zach and Todd are definitely ahead of me right now because Zach had a clerk's character, right? You had one in common with him, though. So I had one in common. True. Okay. Okay. So I tried to use that in the past, and you guys have uh, have shut me down. Well, we so, have gotten nothing. We've got nothing. Okay. So let's go over some honorable mentions. So my honorable mentions, obviously, like I said, Doctor Gregory House. If I could have picked TV, he would have been my number one. Uh, but some of the other uh, categories I had here, I had a police officer. My police officer was Sergeant Al Powell from uh, from Die Hard. That was my police officer. Nice. Um, mm. Another another essential employee is uh, our pilots, and uh, so my pilot was Iceman from Top Gun. I was debating between Iceman or Iceman or Maverick. I went with Iceman because he he's a lot less he's a lot more secure. He's a lot less he's he's not dangerous. That's right, Ice Man. I am dangerous. He's the secure one, even though Sliders is his, uh, his, uh, his, How much uh, work are they co-pilot. actually doing right now, though? I, I don't know, but he's, I, if, if I needed someone to, if I needed someone to fly a plane, I want Iceman doing it. Someone who is probably a little more essential are people who work at the airport, so the Scranton ticket agent from, uh, Home Alone is definitely on my list of best essential employees. Um... My my news person was Edward R. Murrow from Good Night and Good Luck, and my government employee was uh, Senator Jefferson Smith from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And uh, as I already said, my food employee was Mookie from Do the Right Thing. Nice. All right, nice. Zach. Okay, I went with James Franco in Pineapple Express, the mailman in Goodfellas, or Tootie answering all of Polly's phone calls constitutes essential work, I think. Um, the guy who writes poems and the fortune teller in Before Sunrise, Officer Slater and Officer Michaels in Superbad, John Goodman in Flight, the gas station owner in No Country for Old Men, Sally the cashier in Home Alone, Kathy the cashier in Matchstick Men, Jennifer Aniston as the cashier in The Good Girl, John Denver as the cashier in Oh God, 
Mr. Sprinkles and Mrs. Doubtfire, he uh, has, he's also the host of the uh, Dinosaur Show, so now he finds himself as the postal employee. Um, Carrie Hutchins <laughs> from Superbad, that's like slapping God across the face for giving you a gorgeous gift. I don't know why she's on the list. Cliff Clavin, <laughs> um, Hello Nurse from Animaniacs, The Postman in The Postman, and The Postman in Il Postino. Barney in The Silence of the Lambs, Il Duce from Kurt and Courtney, because there's still, you know, sometimes you still need to have a hitman out there. Officer Slater's wife in Superbad, and finally Big Tim from Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> yes. Hello, nurse. Nurse. <laughs> that, that is amazing. That That is amazing. Uh, good, good work. All right, Todd. Uh, so I had Ron Burgundy. Uh, I'm surprised Terry didn't have that. I mean, if any, the newscasters are like our like yeah, I should I should have had him. Right uh, my police officer was Sergeant Kerry Mahoney <laughs> in Police Academy, of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> uh, other people that yeah. are essential right now and uh, probably have really a tougher job than ever are garbage men. So I have Sid in Toy Story Three. <laughs> Oh, I was trying to think of a good garbage man, and I couldn't find the. My best one was was the garbage picking, field goal kicking Philadelphia phenomenon, and I was not going to say that. So I'm glad you thought of a good garbage man. (laughs) Smells like strawberries. Uh, Okay, and my delivery driver is the one and only Stan Lee as the FedEx driver in Captain America: Civil War. Yep, very. Which was almost my prediction for Adams number one. <laughs> All right, Adam. What are your honorable mentions? Man, Terry, you just ruined my funny deep dive pick. <sighs> You'll see. Okay, Lester Burnham from American Beauty, Mister Smiley's drive-through guy, Mookie from uh, He was the, the right drive-through thing. guy. He, he was he just working walked the over drive-thru. to the. He just well, walks he over was to the in window. that one scene. He was working the drive-through. So there we no, go. No, he wasn't. He heard it. I That's why know. he went over there. Okay, you're right. Okay, forgive me. Forget it. Uh, <laughs> Donnie. From Patterson, he was a bus driver. He was uh, played by Rizwan Manjani. It just uh, his uh, this guy's agent actually reached out to me because I mentioned him in one of my top tens. It's pretty weird. <laughs> nice. That's just right. Wanted to mention it. Uh, Max uh, Derosher from Collateral. He's a taxi driver. Um, uh. Burger Shack employee from Harold and Kumar, played by Anthony Anderson. Uh, Doctor Heiter from Human Centipede. He's the Doctor Fauci of this field. He's very. Uh, very precise guy uh and then also i had a uh, mark uh, what's it uh kristen stewart and personal shopper and then um <laughs> and i also had i i i'm not joking i had barney gorman as my uh my garbage man from the field uh, garbage picking field goal kicking philadelphia <laughs> yes <laughs> i was i was so happy with myself i was like this is gonna be a great pool and then i got ruined by rocket man <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff. That was good. St- All right, who wins? I don't even know. <laughs> I still say I Todd know. for the American president. Yep, I agree. I I think so. To- Todd's the Todd's the winner. All right, so Todd, if you're the winner, so what does that bring our our uh, point total to? Uh, I now have eighteen and a half. Zach has 11, and Terry has 12 and a half. Okay, all right. Well, uh... Damn. That, there was no way we were going to have any any chance doing that, so the fact that we got something that related, 
Uh, uh, we all predicted Chuck Nolan. We did. We did all predict Chuck Nolan was going to be on your list, Adam. All of us predicted I, I you had, were going to say Castaway. I I had on this list on this piece of paper Chuck Nolan and Stanley were on it, but I uh, I'm not a big fan of Castaway. Doesn't matter. What? But it's FedEx, I, dude. But if I, sh- <laughs> I know, but. FedEx, FedEx. Our entire family went and saw that movie in theaters because it was FedEx. No joke. No joke. There was no other reason. Yeah, yeah Tom Hanks movie. Yeah, sure, it's supposed to be good. It's FedEx. We we watched it in theaters. My dad almost went to Memphis to be an extra in that movie. <laughs> wow. Really? Yeah, they put like a, they, they did like an open casting call with like all FedEx employees. You can go to Memphis and be an extra in like the crowd scene celebration when he comes home. Wow. wow, that's pretty interesting. That's, he could that's have a been with Fred right Smith. There. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. He could have he could have met Fred Smith doing that. Whatever. Could have had some of those crab legs. <sighs> okay, let's move on. It's time for trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. And uh, for trivia here, uh, Zach and Todd had to watch a movie because by some miracle, I actually won trivia. So uh, they each had to watch one. Uh, We're going to go Todd first. Todd, tell us what you had to watch and what you thought of it. Uh, Terry made me watch the 1990 John Patrick Shanley written and directed movie Joe vs. the Volcano. Nice. This stars Tom Hanks as Joe Banks, who is a hypochondriac. Uh, working at some miserable job. He, uh, he's constantly going to the doctor and they tell him nothing's wrong with him until one of them says that he has a chronic illness called a brain cloud. Brain cloud. And he, and he has uh, limited time to live. He gets an offer to jump into a volcano in order as a human sacrifice in order to save an island and allow uh, some guy's company to uh, get semi-superconductor like minerals or something. Uh, he agrees, and he goes on this quest with the three different versions of Meg Ryan. It's sort of like the Secret Life of Walter Mitty kind of thing. Um, it doesn't ask a lot of its actors. I think Hanks is particularly disinterested, uh, which is weird because it's right in between like Josh Baskin and Jimmy Dugan, which are two of his best characters ever. Uh, Joe Banks is not one of his better roles. Uh, the movie is like corny, and it's light, but... Coming from John Patrick Shanley, who did Moonstruck, which is way more sincere, and Doubt, which is something completely different, I have no idea how this is came out of him. Uh, it's not a good movie, but it's definitely a Terry movie, and it's totally. a, a '90s movie. And, Even though uh, it was in the '80s, it's 1990. Oh, was it 1990? Okay, never mind. I don't it's know. more '80s I, than they, '90s. They don't, they don't make movies like this anymore, and I think there's a reason for that. It's a one and a half star movie. Oh, but yeah, it's a Terry movie. <laughs> I love Joe versus the volcano. That's such a great movie. My fa- my favorite moment in that movie is when he decides to play putt putt on the floating suitcases in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Brain cloud. It's good stuff. Well, and and, and the island isn't it. Isn't it that's the island where they where they uh, get the like the the ingredient that makes orange soda? Hmm. Isn't that what it is? And that's why that that's like the whole thing, isn't it? Like they have orange soda there. I don't know. 
Anyways, it's a great movie. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I should watch it again. Me neither. I knew you were going to hate it, but it, it's like it's like the ultimate Terry movie that you have never seen, so I had to go with it. <clears throat> All right. Okay. Zach, what did you have to watch? And before you start talking, so, so Zach watched this movie last night, and he texts me, there has to be a story behind why you assigned me this movie. And there totally is, but we're going to go over that story after Zach tells us all about the movie he had to watch. All right, the movie I had to watch is Mid-August Lunch, directed by Gianni Gregorio, who also made the movie Gamora, which I can't think of two movies that are any more different. Um, this is an Italian movie that came out in 2008, <laughs> And um, it's uh, it's a 75-minute-long movie about an uh, old guy who lives with his even older mother. And over the course of, what, maybe a 48-hour-long hmm, period, um, he actually finds himself in this unusual circumstance of not only taking care of his mother, but taking care of three additional elderly women in his very small cramped apartment because he is behind in the rent. That's always a nice convenient contrivance for a storyline, right? Uh, so really the movie is just about this guy and taking care of these really old women, some of whom verge on the annoying, some of them are, they make demands of him, um, some of them just kind of want to talk and eat and uh, sleep and watch TV. Um, this is a very Zach movie. I'm surprised that, that Terry recommended it because it's foreign and it doesn't really have a plot. Um, nothing really happens in it. Um, and so I guess it's a good thing that it's only 75 minutes long. Um, it, it's, it has some Terry elements, though, in the sense that it, it nothing really bad happens in the movie. And it's all very light and it ends with them dancing at the end of the movie. Um, I just more want to hear about why Terry assigned it to me. I gave it three stars. It was cool. It was a nice way to pass 75 minutes in the midst of the quarantine. So, Terry, tell me finally, wh where did you come across this movie? Okay. Um, I'm trying to remember what year I watched this. I honestly, I remember nothing about this movie. Um, but, uh, so this was, this is the story behind, uh, behind Mid-August Lunch. So Todd, for the longest time, would always come visit me in mid-February, um, for, for LEST here in Portland. And whenever he would do that, um, usually at the same, the same weekend of that would be the Portland International Film Festival. And so we would always try and go see a movie at the film festival. Um, I know, Zach, we would do this a couple times. Like, I just saw, I was going through my list, and I saw a movie. Uh, remember when we went and saw Terra Nova? That, like, Russian, like, isolation movie? I went with you. Zach Penal didn't Colony. go. Yeah, oh, I, Zach I, didn't go? Okay, anyways, no. that was another one. We, I should try and find that and make Zach watch it, too. So anyways, so Todd and I decide, okay, we're going to go and we're going to watch, we're going to go watch a movie at the film festival. And the movie we wanted to watch, Todd, what was the movie again? Uh, we wanted to watch either Terribly Happy or The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. That was it. Those, so those <laughs> were the two movies. And at this theater that was in downtown Portland, I think there were three or four movies that were all starting within a half hour of each other. And so we're in line waiting to get in and we weren't like a member of the film festival. So we had to wait in line. And what they would do is they would wait <clears throat> till like the last 10 minutes before the movie would start and let as many people who were in line in as possible until they were full. So we're in line for good, the bad, the weird. And 
the they sell out before we get to the front of the line. So, okay, fine. Well, then we'll get in line for Terribly Happy. And so we get in line, and they sell out before we get to the front of the line. So, okay, well, what's next? So we get in line. I think it was... was were there three movies or four movies, Todd? I don't remember what the I other don't remember any, was. But going. anyways... The last movie we get in line for is Mid-August Lunch. It's like, fine, we're, we came down here to see a movie. We're going to see a damn movie. I don't care what it is at this point. Mid-August Lunch, sure, we know nothing about it. Let's watch this movie. And so we get in line for that. <clears throat> we are the last two in line, and they cut it off right before we get up to the line. But then the guy had two comp tickets that he gave us. That someone had left behind that was a member of the film festival. And I actually still have the ticket stuff. I have it. it it's like right right there on top of my shelf. The mid-August <laughs> lunch nice. ticket stuff. And so we get in. We are in the front row on the far end. the Like the two end seats on the in the front row and watch this movie. And yeah, I remember I level nothing. with the subtitles. I level with the subtitles. So it's like we have to. That was like a ten foot difference between the guy's face and the subtitles that we had to keep on going up and down and up and down to see. Um, it was like the craziest thing that, um, craziest movie going experience like ever, because it was like, we know absolutely nothing about this movie, but we're going to see it because we came to the film festival to see a movie and we just barely got in and it turned out to be a pretty good movie. I think I gave it three stars. I honestly don't remember. But it was a couple months ago that I realized, I noticed it was coming up on streaming services. So when I had to pick a movie for Zach, I was like, okay, he assigned Todd some crazy inter, uh, foreign film last time. So I'm going to assign him mid-August lunch to watch. So that's the story, Zach. <laughs> so you really don't remember much of it? I don't remember any of it. <laughs> Well, he was too busy laughing nice. because the subtitles were right in front of our face, eye level. It, it was bizarre. Like he was laughing the whole movie. Well, and this and this is before like you know the 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 like recliner seats or anything in theaters. Like we were in normal like theater seats, the far end, first row, and yeah, we could we had to like crank our neck just to see anything. And uh, but hey, we watched a movie at the Portland International Film Festival. Two thousand eight, probably. Yeah, makes for a long seventy-five minutes. I thought it was, I thought we were at our at the. I thought I was teaching by that point, so I thought it was in two thousand nine. But I don't know. I feel like I would have gone with you. Why wasn't I invited? I don't know why you weren't invited. No, we saw it was two thousand ten. We saw it. I just saw it. Found it. I gave it two well, and a half stars. That would have made sense. It's two thousand ten. So I was playing like two years after it was released. Well, I was just looking at this. It was originally released at the Venice Film Festival in two thousand eight. And uh, then, yeah, in 2010, it uh, was at the Portland International Film Festival. Oh. It was at the Seattle Film Festival in 2009. So it just kind of made the film oh. festival r rounds. I never really got... It's, I, I, yeah. I thought it was a really good movie. I'd recommend w watching it again. And I felt like this movie was begging to be remade by an American uh, filmmaker. In the United States, I, I think American film audiences would would love the story. Yeah, it it has been ten years since I've seen it, so uh, I need to watch it again. And if you're saying it's worth watching again, then I should uh, I should probably check it out sometime. But yeah, this so, time you, you won't have to strain your neck this time. Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's the story behind Mid August Lunch. So that that's why I had you watch I, it. There had to be a story there. I, I knew it. In the first five minutes, I was like, 
This is a strange pick for Terry, but okay. Uh, we'll go with it. I, I thought it was good. As soon as I thought of that, I'm like, yes, Zach is watching Mid-August Lunch for a couple reasons. One, it had the great story behind it, but two, I thought you might actually like it because it's a, you know, it's a small-time foreign film and uh, and stuff like that. So, okay. Adam, have you seen either Joe vs. the Volcano or uh, Mid-August Lunch? I have not seen either of those. Well, you should watch Mid-August Lunch. It's pretty good. <laughs> There we go. It sounds like it. it sounds like that story is. What, what, what did you see it on, Zach? Good. Uh, Amazon Prime. It, yeah, it's oh, on I Amazon Prime right now. Watch that. Yeah. Okay. So it, yeah, it, like it's on a, a major streaming service. I knew that. That's why I picked it. And it, it has a number. It has like. It has three thousand seven hundred votes on IMDb. Like I'm kind of surprised it didn't get a bigger release. It's like a, a per, totally kind of perfect little foreign movie that American audiences would really like. So. I, I I would highly recommend it. It was awesome. I did not know that that director did Gamora after that. That's that's awesome. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, Gamora is a really good movie. It's but it's nothing at all like Mid August Lunch. It's, sort of like Doubt not... and uh, Joe vs. Joe vs. the Volcano. <laughs> exactly. Well done, Terry. <laughs> and See? you can throw in Moonstruck in there too. We tie it full circle. It comes all together. Uh, okay. All right. So it's it's a uh, it's time for trivia. Uh, with us doing our uh, our Mount Rushmore of the 2010 uh, Oscars of the 2010s, I decided to give some trivia about the Oscars of the 2010s. Okay, so these are all categories going along with the Oscars of uh, of the 2010s. Um, so are you guys ready? We're gonna go back and forth with a few different categories here. Sure. Um. So the first category, this category has eight answers, okay? Our first category is, can you name all of the people who hosted or co-hosted the Oscars in the 2010s? These are for the, for the 2010 movies. So like the 2010 Oscars for the 2009 movies don't count, okay? There are eight answers for this, all right? Okay, we're going to go first. We're going to go to Zach first on this one. Zach, give me one. Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen is correct. Todd. Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal is correct. Adam. Does no host count? Uh, no host does not <laughs> count. It, it, it has to be a host. <laughs> okay, Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris is correct. Zach. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel is correct. Two-time host, so that name only counts once. Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane is correct. Adam. There are three answers left. He took mine. Okay, um... Five, four... Conan? Conan O'Brien? Conan is incorrect. Zach. James Franco and Anne Hathaway. Well, that's technically two answers, but we'll uh, we'll go with. Well, it. does that count? Or... Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So that means there's only one answer left. Todd, do you have the last one? What was that? 2012. Uh, James Franco and Hathaway was 2010? 2010. That was 2010. Oh, okay. I knew one of them was nominated for that year. Uh... There's one uh, name left. The other... Man, I know 2009. Who was 2009? Alex Baldwin and Steve Martin. Oh, right. 
That was weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. All right, Zach, do you have the last one? Was it John Stewart? No, no, you missed Chris the most Rock. awkward. The most awkward one ever was Chris, Wa- Chris, Chris Rock. Rock on the Oscar So uh, White. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, damn it. Forgot. All right, so we've got Zach with three, Todd with two, Adam with one. Okay, next category. There are 11 names, and if there's a co one, you just say one name. Just one name. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I messed that up. You there. did mess that I up. All right. Uh, this, the, these are the 11 people who presented Best Picture in the 2010s. The 11 people who presented Best Picture in the 2010s. This one, we are starting with Todd. Uh, Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway is correct. Did it twice. Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty is correct. He did it twice. (laughs) Well, kind of. (laughs) I should have put the producer from La La Land on this list, but I didn't. Zach. Uh, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda is correct. Presented Parasite. Todd. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman presented Spotlight. Adam. Damn. Um, you guys are freaking awesome at this. Okay. Um, let's see. Was that Michelle Obama? Michelle Obama is been... correct. She presented Argo. For Argo? Right, yeah. Zach. Well, does Jack Nicholson count because he presented with her? Jack Nicholson counts. That is correct. Todd. Uh, Julia Roberts? Julia Roberts presented Green Book. Correct. Adam. Uh, This is probably wrong. Uh, Robert De Niro? De Niro is incorrect. Yeah. Zach. There are four names left. Sean Penn. Sean Penn is correct. I forget which one he presented. Birdman. Birdman, that's right, yeah. Todd. Kirk Douglas? Kirk Douglas is incorrect. Who Zach, predicted? do you have any more? He, he did something big. He did do something uh, big, but he didn't do this. Will Smith. Will Smith is correct. He presented 12 Years oh, a Slave. A and, uh, oh, still me? Yep, still you. You're the only one left. Uh, Michael Douglas? No. Oh. Uh, the last two. Tom Cruise gave the artist, and uh, the King's Speech was presented by Steven Spielberg. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember those. All right, so Zach Well, is... the artist, we, we may have been inebriated in Vegas. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> All right, Zach has seven. Todd has five. Adam has three. Adam gets to go first on this one. And for this one, the, this one's a little a little strange, but we'll, we'll, I'm going to see how this goes. There are 17 names on this list. Can you name the 17 people who presented the Oscar nominees on nomination Ugh. morning from the 2010s? Now, the, let me give a couple stipulations with this. One, I am not counting the Academy presidents, either Tom Sherrick or Cheryl Boone Isaacs. They do not count. 
And I'm also not counting 2016 where they did, it was the first time they did the whole thing streaming and it was like a different person for every category. That doesn't count either. It is, it is the people who were like in front of a camera, in front of people doing this all the other years. Some of them with one of the Academy presidents, some of them without. Uh, so the 17 people who presented the Oscar nominees in the 2010s, we are starting with Adam. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani. Kumail is correct. Zach. And Tiffany Haddish. Tiffany Haddish is correct. Todd. Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane is correct. Adam. John Krasinski. John Krasinski is correct. Zach. Uh, Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt is incorrect. Todd. I feel, I mean, uh, Olivia Wilde. Olivia Wilde is incorrect. Adam, can you keep going? It's your chance, dude. Uh, uh, Gilmar Del Toro. Guillermo Del Toro is correct. Uh, wow. It's it's the girl from Blackish. It's Anthony Anderson's wife's name in that show. It, it's not this person, but it, Isla Rae is that one. Issa Rae is one. That is correct. I was thinking that one too. I, I thought I thought that was Tiffany Haddish. Uh. Yeah, man, I, I know one. I just don't know her name from Blackish. Okay. No, apparently there was both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought I thought it was still right, but I was like, okay, I must have been mistaken. I think because yeah, the person Blackish did with Kamel. Um, let's go with. Uh... No, Kamel was with Issa Rae. Tracy Ellis no. Ross is not an answer. Kumail did it twice. Tracy Ellis no, Ross with... is an answer. She did it with Kumail. I'm giving you half a point yeah. for knowing that. Um, Issa Rae yes, did it with somebody yes. else. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I can picture it. I can picture it. Five seconds. Uh, we'll just go with... Let's go with Javier Bardem. That's wrong. That is wrong. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Issa Rae did it with John Cho this last year. Damn it. Uh, uh, 2018 was Kumail and Tracy Ellis Ross. Uh, 2017 was Tiffany Haddish and Andy Serkis. Uh, 2015. Wow, that's weird. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. 2015 was Guillermo del Toro and Ang Lee did the text, and then the main ones were John Krasinski and Cheryl Boone Isaacs. Uh, 2014, the texts were J.J. Abrams and Alfonso Cuaron, and the mains were Cheryl Boone Isaacs and Chris Pine. Uh, 2013 was Chris Hemsworth and Cheryl Boone Isaacs. 2012 was Seth MacFarlane with Emma Stone. Uh, 2011 was Tom Sherrick with Jennifer Lawrence. And 2010 was uh, Tom Sherrick with Monique. All right. It is Zach 8, Adam 7.5, Todd 6. We are starting with Zach on this one. And the last category is films in the 2010s that were nominated for 10 or more Oscars. So 10 or more Oscar nominations for films in the 2010s. There are 18 of them. 
18 films nominated for 10 or more Oscars in the 2010s. Zach, you are first. La La Land. La La Land is correct. Todd. Mad Max Fury Road. Mad Max Fury Road is correct. Adam. Oh, it's just, uh, what was nominated this year? Damn it. Uh, what was that big one? It's, uh, wow, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. There was like a bunch this year. Five seconds. Five, four, three. Uh, social two. Network. Social Network is incorrect. Yeah. Zach. Darn it. Um, the Shape of Water. Shape of Water is correct. Damn it, I had that rope. The Todd. Revenant. The Revenant is correct. Zach. Gravity. Gravity is correct. Todd. Uh, Hugo. Hugo is correct. Zach. Lincoln. I'd fight Lincoln. That is correct. Todd. Uh, the Irishman. The Irishman is correct. Zach. Roma. Roma is correct. Todd. True Grit. True Grit is correct. Wow. Zach. Uh, Birdman. Birdman is incorrect. Uh, Todd, you are life, currently down life two. Life of Pi. Life of Pi is correct. Can you keep going? Um. Five seconds. Five. Four, three, two. American Hustle. American Hustle is correct. One more for the win. There are five left. Oh, oh. damn it, I just thought of some. Five seconds. Five, four, three, two. One. Anything. I got it. Nothing. Twelve years slave. Nope. Alright, in 2010, Joker. The King's Joker. Speech. 2011, The Artist. And this year, The Joker. 1917 and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood all had over 10 nominations. Or 10 or more. I don't know why I blanked on those. Jeez. Yeah. Joker had 11, 1917 and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had 10, along with The Irishman. That was the most of any year. That was the only one that was over... <laughs> over two and it had four okay so we have zach with 13 todd with 13 adam with seven and a half we have one more category i have the tiebreaker category and for this category i am going to need let's see here here's what we're gonna do uh let's see here todd it's your turn to go first so zach i need you to unplug and I'll and you're gonna come back here in a second. Okay. Todd, you're first. Todd, the final tiebreaker category is can you name the five films 
that won five or more Oscars in the 2010s. Do I have to... If, I mean, do I give five answers, or am I? if I get one wrong, am I done? I think... It, uh, let's say if you get one wrong, you're... Uh, no, I'll, I'll let you say five. I'll let you say five. Let's do it that way. Okay, I'm going to say La La Land, The Artist... Um... Gravity. The King's Speech. And... The Shape of Water. That's probably not very good. Alright, you got three out of five. Zach, come back. Alright, Zach. Alright. Here is the tiebreaker category. Uh, can you name the five films that won five or more Oscars in the 2010s? You get an, I'll, I'll give you a chance to name five films, and at the end I'll tell you how many you got right. So five films that have won five or more Oscars in the 2010s. Only five films won five or more Oscars in the 2010s. Can you name the five? Okay. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Gravity, The Shape of Water, and that's a stupid pick, um, La La Land, and 12 Years a Slave. All right, you got three of the five. Oh, you gotta which be kidding is me. What Todd got. So the answers were La La Land. <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road, Gravity, which I think are the three... No, Todd didn't get Mad Max. Todd got The Artist. And the one that neither of you got was Hugo. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Nice. That one, like, seven. Um, okay, now I've got to think of a, a, a second tiebreaker here, because... How about we both just get a pick Terry to watch something? You, you both like get to pick, pick something for me, and then you get to pick something for each yep. other. That's yeah. So you guys get to pick something for sure. each other, and then yeah, I'll sure. Why not? <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. It's time for quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. To wrap up our podcast today. Uh, let's go to, uh, let's see here. I'm going to go first because I think I won that trivia because I think it was a pretty good trivia quiz and you guys tied, which just ruined it all. So my, um, my, my quote is, uh, I was trying to think of something good, but I'm going to go with a quote from, uh, from my anniversary movie that I watched for this time, uh, Wonder Boys, which stars Michael Douglas, the American president. Um, and, uh. And uh, th- this quote pretty much sums up the movie. If, if you sa- think this sounds good, uh, you should watch Wonder Boys. So the quote is, uh, so there it was, somewhere in the night, a Manhattan book editor was prowling the streets of Pittsburgh, best-selling author at his side, dead dog in the trunk. There you go. That, that, that nice. sums up Wonder Boys in like one, one, nice, one nice quote there. So, so uh, yeah, yeah. All right, Adam, what do you got? All right, so this is kind of like a, a meme now um, 
for all the people who found out they're an essential worker. This is from Talladega Nights. Well, Nick, here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. You know, nobody can hang with my stuff. I just, I just, uh, my big, hairy, American winning machine. If you ain't first, you last. Amen. Well done. Well done. Beautiful. Well done. All right. Zach, what do you got? Uh, my quote today comes from Werner Herzog, and it's him <laughs> discussing uh, it's him discussing chickens, and he says, "Well, they are very frightening for me because their stupidity is so flat. You look into the eyes of the chicken, and you lose yourself in completely flat, frightening stupidity. They are a great metaphor for me. I kind of love chicken, but they frighten me more than any other animal." Sounded like nice. mid nineties Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> A little bit. Get to the chopper. All right, Todd. All right, mine comes from my number one essential employee, and that's Jerry Maguire. And he says something that probably could have uh, applied to this podcast at at its inception. Uh, It is, if anyone wants to come with me, this moment will be the ground floor of something real and inspiring and true in this godforsaken business, and we will do it together. Who's coming with me? Obviously, yeah, the three we of us could have had that conversation if we were ambitious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big if. Uh, all right, and with that, we will uh, draw this podcast to a close. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Find us on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, review there. Uh, we're also on Spotify. You can find us there. I will be back uh, at you next week with another deep dive. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.